The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC Global Headquarters. No Tuesday turnaround on tap. Stocks kicking the new trading week off in the red, with the Nasdaq closing at a two-year low, and futures today are pointing lower again. Diamond's dire outlook. J.P. Morgan CEO sitting down exclusively with CNBC saying more steep pullbacks may be ahead for the market. We've got his full comments coming up ahead. Breaking overnight, the Bank of England intervening in the bond markets again as it tries to calm fears roiling the country's financial markets and pension system. And Kathy Wood's arc, betting big on one beaten down tech name, continuing its recent buying spree. It's Tuesday, October 11th. We're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning. I am Dominic Chewin for Brian Sullivan today. Let's kick off the hour with a check on the market and U.S. stock futures. They are pointing towards losses at the opening bell. Right now, the Dow Dow is implied lower by roughly 230 points. The Nasdaq down by about 93 and the S&P off by about 32 if these futures moves hold into regular cash equities trading. Wall Street kicking off the new trading week in the red with the Nasdaq closing at its lowest level in around two years. Let's also check on the bond market right now. The 10-year Treasury note yield continues to move higher, right now just checking in at about 3.95%, and then take a look at the two-year note yield, about 4.32%. In the oil market today, crude prices taking a hit as well, given some of the more bearish economic commentary that's floating around these days. U.S. benchmark West Texas Intermediate crude down about 2.5%, $88.82. That's down two and a quarter dollars there. And ice Brent crude futures, the world benchmark gauge, down $2.21, $93.98 the last trade there. That's off about 2.5% as well. Taking a look also at cryptocurrencies, Bitcoin prices, we're still watching that 20,000 level. That's the over-under, if you will, for the market right now. Bitcoin prices currently under that at 19,112 and change. That's down about a half a percent. Ether prices off about one and three quarters percent, $1,285 there. Well, let's now go worldwide. Markets in Asia mostly lower. Japan and South Korea returning from a holiday, shedding more than 2% at this point. Taiwan's benchmark index falling more than 4% in its post-holiday trade as investors weighed the impact of new U.S. rules on computer chips. And then taking a look at the early trade in Europe, what's happening there, it's it's certainly to the downside, but to varying degrees. Right now, the German DAX is off about 1%. The CAC in France down about three quarters of one percent and the FTSE 100 in the UK down about one and a quarter percent. The Bank of England this morning announcing an expansion of its emergency bond buying operation as it looks to restore calm to the country's overall bond market and elsewhere as well. J.P. Morgan CEO J.B. Diamond is warning the U.S. economy is likely to fall into recession in the next six to nine months due to several factors, including inflation, the effects of quantitative tightening by the Fed and the war in Ukraine. 
Speaking to CNBC's Juliana Tattlebaum in London, Diamond says a downturn could coincide with volatile markets with the potential for plenty more downside for the S&P 500. Stock markets, where do you see the trough for the S&P 500? Oh, I don't know. No, because it, it, it may have a ways to go. I mean, it, it really depends on that soft landing, hard landing thing. And since I don't know the answer to that, it's hard for me to answer that. But it, it, could, it could be another easy 20%. And, uh, I, you know, I think like the next 20 percent will be much more painful than the first rates going up another 100 basis points are a lot more painful than the first 100 because people aren't used to it. And, you know, um, and I think negative rates when all is said and done will will be a have been a complete failure. It could be an easy 20 percent drop, says Diamond. We'll have, by the way, more from Juliana's interview with Jamie Diamond later on this hour. Let's now bring in Peter Bookfar, chief investment officer at Bleakley Advisory Group. He's also a CNBC contributor. Also, Josh Wine, portfolio manager at the Hennessy Funds. Uh, uh, Peter, we'll start with you with the bigger picture here. We know the Bank of England has now intervened yet again to stabilize the bond markets over there. We're seeing some of the effects play out right now. Do you believe as though this is an environment where we can see another, in Jamie Dimon's words, easy 20 percent drop from current levels? I, I do believe so. I mean, the, the average bear market from peak to trough going back many, many years is about 35 percent. That's the average. Obviously, some down more, some down less. That would take you at about 3,100 uh, on the S&P 500, which would be a little shy of uh, what Jamie had said. I mean, the, the issue with the market is, yes, on one hand, we have this monetary tightening uh, and, and the noose continues to, to, to close. But at the same time, we now have earnings risk. And we're going to see that, obviously, beginning in a couple of days, uh, all throughout the next couple of months. And I think that is the next hurdle uh, that the markets need to clear. If that's the case, Peter, if I could just follow up really quickly. There are actions that that government or or large financial entities are taking. The Bank of England is, has now intervened again in the marketplace right now. It seems as though the governments can or I shouldn't say the government, central banks and governments can be stabilizing factors in this kind of environment, is it really the inflationary environment right now, the threat of it that's keeping them relatively on the sidelines, save the BOE? Well, you can argue that what the Bank of England is doing is very destabilizing. It's proving that they can't get out of the easing and the QE that they've gotten themselves into. I mean, just in the month that they were supposed to start selling gilt, they find themselves buying them just a few weeks before or a couple of days, I'm sorry, before the end of uh, the, the emergency bond buying program. They're back in. So th- that, that's the problem. This is actually very destabilizing. The market's not able to find sort of its right level in its own price discovery. And I'm afraid that this is not just going to be a Bank of England thing. And this is going to potentially spread to other bond markets. OK. If we take a look at Josh, Peter makes some interesting points here with regard to the the bigger picture environment. We are entering earnings season, which puts a lot more of the focus not just on the big picture, but the company specific picture as well. The expectations that you have, I, I, I mean, have the markets already, in essence, priced in a lot of the negativity that Peter is referring to right now? Yeah, it seems it. I mean, I, you know, getting back to the original question about how much farther do we have to go? I mean, I, you know, Peter pointed out earnings season, which is obviously coming up. And I would say we don't have a lot farther to go. I mean, I think it is all, you know, all about earnings. You know, I would point out, you know, right now, 
you know, and this is kind of lagging data, but we have an S&P that looks, you know, quite healthy. You know, at the end of 08, you know, net debt to EBITDA. So just kind of looking at the balance sheet and the operating cash flow capability of the S&P, it was at about three and a quarter. We're now less than a third of that. So, you know, the lower, the better on a measure like that. And so I would say that we're in good shape in terms of do we have farther to go? But certainly it's that E, the earnings that are, you know, top of mind. And, and it, you know, we're only as good as our, you know, as our denominator here. So uh, I don't know. I, I'm a little bit more sanguine on the market, but certainly, you know, the Bank of England putting Band-Aids on, you know, on problems, you know, open wounds is, is concerning. Josh, yeah. let's put let's put let, let's put a, a little bit of emphasis on the on the numerator to that denominator as well. The price, the stock market you referred to. Sure. This is a situation where much of the downside has been attributed to rising interest rates and compressing valuations, the price on the price to earnings ratio. If earnings are an issue, price right now is in question. Do you feel as though the multiple in the market right now is adequate? How far could it go to the downside, given what your earnings outlook is in the coming weeks? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, certainly rates are the, the backdrop. So, you know, we're trading at a, just under 15 times forward earnings. So on the face of it, that seems quite compelling in a in a world where the 10-year in the U.S. is about 3.8 or 3.9, depending on, on when you look. So I, I don't think, you know, it's impossible to see, a, you know, a, a 13 multiple or, or lower on the market. I just, I feel like we're getting to the point and the market wants it where, you know, bad news is good news. You know, the market is, you know, definitely sees, you know, the, the negative wealth effect and that comes from the market activity, the residential real estate market. And we see this slowdown coming. It's very clear, you know, the, the Fed has pulled a muscle and it, can, it insists on continuing the race and finishing. And I think that scares the market. So I think certainly there's some multiple compression to come, but, you know, there's not going to be a warning when it when it bottoms. I think uh, I think we're we're pretty close to done here. If bad news is good news, Peter, good news certainly is bad news in that kind of environment, right? We saw that play out on Friday with the jobs numbers and the unemployment figures that came out. If we look at the possibility of a recession that's coming up, Jamie Dimon is not the first to come out and say that there's the likelihood of something happening down the line. He's put a timeline on six to nine months. During Delivering Alpha, we heard some negative commentary from folks like Stanley Druckenmiller, who knows a thing or two about macro markets as well. If we're not in a recession right now, what does it end up looking like, Peter, by the time it's done? And is, is there a possibility that we can achieve this kind of unicorn of a soft landing in global economic turmoil? Well, when we eventually see Q3 GDP, I, I think if you combine it with the first quarter and the second quarter, I think at best you'll probably see a, a no growth. Uh, so while we maybe we can debate recession or not, to me it's at this point, semantics, because parts of the economy are in a recession. Housing's in a recession. Autos, because of the, uh, the rise in funding costs now combined with record high prices, is probably on the cusp of one. Uh, the lowering consumer is feeling their own recession. Europe is in a recession. China is sort of in its own recession, what that means for other economies in Asia. So focus on more of the trajectory of growth here rather than the definitional uh, situation of whether we're in a recession or not. And then, of course, we get into to what your point is, whether it's mild or not. I think we'll, we'll, it remains to be seen uh, how much further uh, interest rates rise and, and what that's going to mean. I'm more afraid of just a, a higher level of interest rate environment for a longer period of time, 
which means that even if the recession is mild, it may drag on longer than what people are used to. All right. Josh, we've got just about a minute or so left here. Uh, you're the stock picker. You know what to do in this kind of environment. So, so what exactly do you do? What's, your, what's the shopping list? Where are you putting money to work? Sure. Well, yeah, time like this, it, certainly we don't know the trajectory of anything that well. And so I think companies with some stability and, and strength of business models. So, you know, in our Hennessy Cornerstone Midcap 30 Fund, I would point out a couple names uh, with, you know, uh, rising earnings, compelling valuation and some stock price momentum. Uh, clean harbors, you know, industrial waste management, environmental remediation, uh, you know, some strong free cash flow generation. I think a name like that, you know, I think we can sleep at night with a name like that. We don't have to worry about product cycles and and you know trends coming and going. And and then also a name like uh, graphic packaging, uh, which provides you know packaging materials for beverage and consumer products companies. You know, think of like frozen foods. Uh, names like that. You know, in the case of graphic packaging, about ten times free cash flow. Uh, there's certainly a cushion there on on valuation, and you know nothing's baked into that number. That's kind of an off-the-run name that I think uh, does well during times like this. And some momentum as well. We show both of those charts, Josh. They are both positive on a year-to-day basis in a very down market. Peter Bookfar, thank you very much. Josh Wine, is you, to you as well. We appreciate Thanks, your thoughts. Tom. All right, yeah. when we come back on the show, much more on that CNBC exclusive conversation with Jamie Dimon. Our Juliana Tattlebaum reveals what else the J.P. Morgan CEO told her about his outlook for markets and the economy and others. Plus, Elon Musk reportedly launching critical accusations against Twitter involving that company's whistleblower. And later on, Meta, set to unveil key new offerings in its venture into the metaverse as it looks to breathe new life into its beaten up stock. A very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns after this break. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Let's check on some of this morning's top stories. And Silvana Hinao is here with those. Hi, Silvana. Hey, Dom. Good morning. Let's start with Coinbase because it says it's gotten the green light from Singapore Central Bank to offer payment services there. The license will allow the crypto exchange to offer regulated digital payment token products and services in Singapore. Coinbase calls the approval a significant milestone, saying Singapore is a strategic market and a global hub for Web3 innovation. Kathy Wood's ARK snatching up shares of Adobe amid its ongoing slide following its $20 billion deal for software design firm Figma. 
Wood's Next Generation Internet ETF, buying more than 23,000 shares of Adobe yesterday. The same fund buying just under 23,000 shares on September 19th. Now, before the recent purchases, ARK Invest was holding less than 1,200 shares of Adobe, at least since the middle of last year, according to data. And Elon Musk reportedly accusing Twitter of ordering its whistleblower to destroy evidence. According to Bloomberg, Musk claimed the social platform told its former head of security to get rid of the information as part of his nearly $8 million severance deal. The report says Musk's claims came shortly before he revived his deal to buy Twitter, Dom. All right, Sylvana Hanau with the latest headlines there. Thank you very much. Still on deck for the show. The latest on the escalating situation in Ukraine as the U.S. vows new support in that country's fight with Russia. Today's big number, $43 billion. That was the total amount invested through B.C. deals across all stages during the third quarter, according to data by PitchBook. That's a nine-quarter low. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Let's get a market check right now. Futures pointing towards a lower open, but things have gotten slightly better over the course of the last 20 minutes or so. You may recall at the top of the hour, we were implied lower by over 200 points. We're now implied lower by roughly about 170 to 180, now 185 points. The S&P lower by 26 and the Nasdaq down implied by about 77 or so points. If you take a look at one key part of the market that many traders and investors are watching very closely, It's the semiconductors, the computer chip stocks, that industry overall, a huge focus for many tech investors. Now, this ETF that tracks them, the Vandek Vector Semiconductor ETF, ticker SMH, down about one and a half percent of the pre-market. Now, yesterday, it was down three percent. That was its third negative session in a row. It hit a new 52-week low plus at this point. It's the lowest level that we've seen going all the way back to November of 2020. You've got some downside laggards, real, real laggards, Lamb Research, Marvell Technology, KLA Corporation, Applied Materials, which makes the stuff that makes computer chips. So keep an eye on those chip sector stocks. They could be big tells about where the market sentiment lies. And then one other place to watch as we talk about the recessionary narrative that's been building in the marketplace, arguably for weeks, if not months at this point. If you take a look at the way treasuries have been playing out, we know that prices have fallen and interest rates are on the rise. That has a little bit more of an effect on certain parts of the corporate credit market that are investment grade. Those ones that are uh, at least highly rated in some way, shape or form. So on a year to date basis, the Treasury ETF, the iShares 20 plus year Treasury, ticker TLT, down about a third of uh, its value. The iBox corporate bond ETF, which tracks investment grade down 23 percent. And high yield has held up relatively well, only, if you will, down 18%. The issue is, if a recession really does come into play, how much more stress will it put on some of those lower-rated companies, the ones with balance sheets that maybe aren't as strong? So one thing to keep a close eye on in the coming days and weeks 
will be whether or not we see more stress come on high yield. One way or the other, it could tell us about where the market thinks the recession will be going or how severe it will be. Well, still on deck for the show, a potentially crippling rail strike here in the United States looking more likely as a union representing thousands of rail workers dismisses the Biden-backed deal to keep goods moving on those rails. And if you haven't already done so, by the way, please follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check us out on Apple or Spotify or other podcast apps. Worldwide Exchange in audio format. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Let's check on this morning's other top headlines. NBC's Francis Rivera is in New York with the latest there. Hi, Francis. Hi, Dom. Good morning to you. We start with an act of revenge. That's what Russian President Vladimir Putin is calling his brutal attacks on over a dozen Ukrainian cities. He blames Ukraine for this weekend's key Crimea bridge explosion. More than 84 missiles and 24 drones fired into Ukraine. The attacks hitting the capital for the first time in months. Ukraine says it shot down nearly half the missiles using military air defenses. President Biden condemning the attacks and promising Ukrainian President Zelensky that the U.S. will provide Ukraine with advanced missile defense systems. The head of the Uvalde School District is stepping down in the wake of May's tragic mass shooting at Robb Elementary. Superintendent Hal Harrell announced his retirement in a staff memo after three decades with the district. Family of the victims praised the decision during a fiery school board meeting last night, saying it should have come sooner. Where were you when we heard the news about my sister being massacred? Your school board members hired you to do your job and you failed tremendously, causing a lifetime of pain, depression and mental anguish. On Friday, the school district's entire police department was suspended for the response to the massacre, which left 19 students and two teachers dead. And Travis Kelsey proved to be the head chief under the lights of Monday Night Football. The Raiders got out to a 17-0 lead early until Kelsey started to find the end zone. He finished the night with four touchdown catches, his personal best, as Kansas City comes from behind to beat Las Vegas. The score there, 30-29. Don, those are your headlines this morning. We send it back to you. Four touchdowns on just about 25, I believe, yards of receiving. That's a lot of productivity and efficiency. Francis Rivera, thank you very much for those headlines. Sure thing. Coming up on the show, CNBC's exclusive conversation with J.P. Morgan Chase CEO Jamie Dimon, his outlook for the markets, the potential for a U.S. recession, and more, including Musk and Twitter. That's coming up next. More pain on tap for markets after the Nasdaq closes at its lowest level in two years. Futures right now pointing to another day of losses ahead. That pullback, potentially just the tip of the iceberg. That's according to Jamie Dimon. Our Juliana Tattlebaum is standing by with her extended, exclusive sit-down with the J.P. Morgan Chase CEO on how much more the markets may fall and his prediction for a U.S. recession. And the threat of a potential economically crippling rail strike. It's back, back on the table as one union balks at the agreement brokered by the Biden administration and another key union. It's Tuesday, October 11th. You are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Welcome back to the show. I am Dominic Chu in for Brian Sullivan this morning. Let's get right to the markets and how things are shaping up as we are just about halfway through 
the 5 a.m. Eastern Time Hour. A quick check now on futures. They are implied lower for the Dow by 207 points. That's been relatively what we've seen so far over the course of the last half hour. The S&P implied lower by roughly 30 points and the Nasdaq down by just about 88 to 90 points. A quick check now on the bond market. The 10-year yield currently ticking just so slightly higher, but heading back towards that 4% level. Right now, just around 3.95%. And taking a look at the early trade in Europe, we are seeing fairly red, deep red arrows pretty much across the board at this point. The German DAX off 1%, the FTSE 100 in the UK down over 1%, the FTSE MIB in Italy down 1.5%. All of this as the Bank of England this morning announced an expansion of its emergency bond buying operation as it looks to restore calm to the country's bond market and perhaps beyond. Taking a look at the British gilt, the British version of the Treasury, on the back of that move, you can kind of see there, those moves are ticking just slightly to the downside. The 10-year gilt yield, just about 4.46%. Let's get back now to our top story in CNBC's exclusive sit-down with J.P. Morgan Chase CEO Jamie Dimon, weighing in on everything from the war in Ukraine and Russia to Twitter to U.S. equity markets, to recession odds and others. Our own Juliana Tattlebaum joins us now with the latest. Juliana, this was wide-ranging. I was fascinated by it, and it's the talk of Wall Street this morning. So great interview, first of all. Now take us through what we've seen and what you think is going to happen next. Dom, good morning, and thank you for having me. It was indeed a wide-ranging conversation. We covered a lot of ground, but listen for yourself. Here we have the exclusive interview with Jamie Dimon, the chairman and CEO of J.P. Morgan. I began by asking him for his read on the health of the U.S. economy. What is your read on the U.S. economy based on what you're seeing at J.P. Morgan? So I think you've got to put two things in mind here. Currently, right now, the U.S. economy is actually still doing well. Consumers have money, you know, fiscal stimulus. They still have more than they had before. They're spending 10 percent more than last year, 35 percent more than pre-COVID. Their balance sheets are in great shape. Yes, debt's gone up a little bit, but not nearly to pre-COVID levels. And therefore, even if we go into recession, they're going to be in much better shape than 08 and 09. Companies are in good shape. Credit's very good. Uh, markets are still open, though, rocky and stuff like that. But you, gotta, you, you can't talk about the economy without talking about the stuff in the future. And this is serious stuff, okay? This is inflation, which obviously is, you know, changing the effect of those numbers I just told you about. It's rates going up more than people expected already and probably a little bit more from here. It's QT, which we've never had before. Uh, so therefore, the unknown effects, and you see it today in bond markets around the world and sovereign markets and people selling U.S. Treasury debt, and it's the war. And these are very, very serious things, which I think are likely to push the U.S. Uh, and you know, the world. I mean, Europe is already in a recession, and they're likely to put U.S. in some kind of recession six, nine months from now. If we do see the U.S. go into recession, how severe do you expect it to be and how long do you expect it could last? Yeah, well, this is the thing no one ever really knows, right? You have a strong consumer going into it. Businesses are in pretty good shape, but they were amazingly resilient during COVID. You know, even the ones that, that had no government support and stuff, stuff like that. And I think governments did do a hell of a job getting the thing to recover. So we don't know. I mean, you, you have, now you have to look at the range of outcomes. It can go from, you know, very mild to quite hard. And, and a lot will, you know, rely on what happens to this war. So I think, you know, to guess is hard, be prepared. And, and, and but the one guarantee, which we've been consistent about, is volatile markets. You're going to have volatile markets. You've already seen markets down quite a bit. No IPOs, very little high yield. Bridge loans being hung and stuff like that, which is pretty typical, but it's still been orderly. 
I think it's possible you can see it be disorderly sometime in not not too near future. How do you think the Fed is doing in managing this whole situation? Well, let me give them credit for what they did in COVID. And I hate to second guess people because I think it's easy for everyone to do. In hindsight, you know, they waited too long and did too little and QT should have started sooner and all that. But they're clearly catching up. They're clearly motivated to catch up. And, you know, from here, we let's all wish them success and keep our fingers crossed that they that they manage to slow down the economy enough that doesn't you know, to cause it. Whatever it is, is mild. And it's possible. I wouldn't take that off. I think, the, like I said, the far more serious thing is this war, far more serious than the short term effect of the economy and things like that. What is so serious about this war? It is a, you know, it's a day that's going to live in infamy. And, you know, it's Pearl Harbor, it's Czechoslovakia, uh, and it's really an attack on the Western world. A free democratic European nation uh, was attacked by 3,000 tanks in Europe, uh, defended, not defended, with a nuclear threat umbrella. Uh, You know, it's a devastating war. We don't know the outcome. We don't know the outcome of most wars. And of course, it's rolling oil markets, food markets, and it's changing everyone's mind about national security around everything, whether it's food, energy, technology, etc. It's a chance for the Western world to get us act together. You know, the autocratic world thinks that the Western world's a little lazy and incompetent. There's a little bit of truth to that. This is the chance to get our act together and to solidify the Western free democratic, capitalist, free people, free movements, freedom of speech, free religion for the next century. Because if we don't get this one right, that kind of chaos you can see around the world for the next 50 years. There have been a lot of Lehman comparisons made in recent weeks and months with regards to the fallout from the energy crisis. You are the only Wall Street CEO who is around to navigate the global financial crisis. How worried are you about Europe this winter, given everything that's going on in Ukraine and with the energy supply? Well, I think we're getting energy completely wrong, which is, you know, ever since this war started, you've known that Europe is going to have a problem and that it was pretty predictable that Putin was going to cut off some gas and certain oil and oil prices would go up. And by the way, for the climate folks here, it's made the climate worse because people had this bad assumption that high oil prices and gas prices reduce consumption, reduce CO2. No. Poor nations, India, China, Indonesia, Philippines, Vietnam, are turning back on coal plants, as are rich nations called Germany, Netherlands, France. We have it completely backwards. And in my view, America should have been pumping more oil and gas, and it should have been supported. You know, we're trying to have our cake and eat it, too, a little bit. And so you have the, you have the problem this winter, which it sounds like they've got enough supply to get through this winter. But we, we have a longer-term problem now which is the world is not producing enough oil and gas to reduce coal, make the transition, create security for people. Uh, so I would put it in a critical category. And th- this should be treated o- almost as a matter of war at this point, not as, a, uh, as nothing short of that. So, you know, people don't be surprised. Like, I was not surprised at Nord Stream 1 being blown up. My, I wouldn't be surprised if it's another pipeline or a tanker in the wrong place. And people need to be prepared at this one. And obviously, America needs to play a real leadership role. America is the swing producer, not Saudi Arabia. Mm-hmm. And, and, we, and we should have gotten that right starting in March. It's almost too late to get it right because obviously these are longer term investments. Speaking of getting it right with regards to Saudi Arabia, uh, President Biden was um, heavily criticized for his efforts in the Middle East, OPEC going ahead with their uh, production cuts, despite President Biden pushing against that. How would you say the Biden administration has handled things and and has Biden been strong enough? I think they've done a good job. 
I don't, look, I obviously don't agree with everything the administration has done. And I, th- and I think all of us need to focus more on growth agendas, which we really don't do very much of. Uh, but I think they've done a very good job coalescing the Western world, keeping it together around this war in Ukraine. And that's good. That needs to be sustained because this can go on for years. The, the, the notion this might end right away, I think, is a false notion. I think we should uh, should have and could have done more on oil and gas. I think, you know, if you're an American leader, uh, you know, obviously you're going to deal with people that you may not want to deal with. I'm not talking about Saudi Arabia. You know, FD, FDR and Winston Churchill dealt with Stalin. You know, and I, I think people make a mistake to, you know, to have butterflies and roses and stuff like that. That's not what this is. And obviously we should be working with Saudi Arabia. They've been a longtime ally. You know, they are a producer of oil and gas. I don't know what the private conversations are. I do think that in the long run, they are far better off aligning with America than with some of those other folks. And I think they probably know that. And I assume that was part of the president's conversation. Let's take it back to markets. I mean, I should remind people, it's still the American military that protects all that oil flow around the world, including the oil going to China. I want to come on to China in a moment, but first let's turn back to markets. What are you seeing in terms of credit markets, and are you seeing any signs of distress that are particularly concerning? You see early signs of distress. So you saw it. I mean, this, again, is fairly typical. You know, markets go down. For you know, people forecast the economy, et cetera. The IPO market closes first. That's kind of happened. High yield closes second, and structured credit. That's kind of happened for the most part. You know, things can get done, and then it starts to affect other credit. You saw it with the gilt markets here. You see a lack of liquidity in a lot of markets. A lot of uh, intermediaries can't intermediate like we used to because of regulations. It is going to happen, and I think the uh, the likely place you're going to see more of a crack and maybe a little bit more of a panic is in credit markets. And it might be ETFs, it might be a country, it might be something you don't suspect. If you make a list of all the prior crises, sitting here, we would not have predicted where they came from, though I think you can predict this time that it probably will happen. And so I'd be, if I was out there, I'd be very cautious. If you need money, go raise it. What about stock markets? Where do you see the trough for the S&P 500? Oh, I don't know. No, okay. it, it, it may have a ways to go. I mean, it, it really depends on that soft landing, hard landing thing. And since I don't know the answer to that, it's hard for me to answer that. But it, it, could, it could be another easy 20%. And uh, I, you know, I think like the next 20% will be much more painful than the first. Rates going up another 100 basis points are a lot more painful than the first 100 because people aren't used to it. And, you know, um, and I think negative rates, when all is said and done, will, will be a, have been a complete failure. Do you see the Fed having to cut rates next year? Maybe. But, you know, the, if there's a recession and it gets really bad, and inflation is coming down, they, they would probably cut rates. But again, we don't know what the outcome is going to be. Let's talk about the UK. It's been a pretty shocking few weeks. You alluded to the volatility we've seen in gilt markets. Reports indicate JP Morgan has been in contact with the chancellor here in the UK. What's gone wrong? Did the UK government mismanage the communication around these new policies? Is there a problem with the economic policies themselves? Or did the market misjudge and get it wrong? Yeah, you have to separate the market from other things. You know, most of the world doesn't watch the markets like we do. And we tell people there's 20 million people watch. And the markets can move up or down, and the economy doesn't change. So I think the economy is far more important for the average person out there, and I have deep respect for that. Uh, you know, and, and, I, and I like the new, you know, new governments always have issues and stuff like that, but I like the fact that they're focusing on growth. I think American growth 3% a year. I, I'm, I'll tell you a number. Had we grown an extra 1% a year from 2000 to 2020, America would have had the GDP per person accumulated wealth, $128,000 more. We don't focus on growth. 
So I think the focus on that is good, and it'll take time to execute the policies to kind of drive growth and what's important. But regarding the markets, there are technical things that took place, like these leverage LDI swaps and margin requirements. And even that, you know, we used to finance margin requirements sometimes. We don't do it much more because a lot of the regulations are very countercyclical. So you're going to see people pulling back at precisely the time they need more you know, safe margin financing. So I would expect to see a little bit more of that. And I think central banks will have to jump in because there's no one else who can do it. And I think that was a bad policy issue, too. I don't think we should have put the central banks in a position that every time there's a, you know, a fluctuation in the market, they have to do something to make people feel good. Is that what's happened in the U.K.? Yeah, I, mean, I don't, I, my view is they had very little choice. They did the right thing. You know, just to see a, a bond market move like that, the, the risk in a bond market moving like that isn't that someone got hurt on the bond side, is it hurts the real economy. And you don't want to see people, you know, re- removing financing from the real economy because you have really bad markets. That doesn't happen a lot, but it happened, you know, recently, which is 08 and 09. You know, the, the bad markets start to, you know, dramatically affect the global economy. There are a lot of the time you've had these kind of things and, you know, the economy didn't even, you know, wince. Mm. Well, we're here in London. J.P. Morgan has invested heavily in the U.K., most recently through your digital bank, Chase U.K. Uh, speaking of tech more broadly, what do you think of tech valuations right now? So, I mean, first brag about Chase U.K., because I just met with uh, the team and a couple of hundred people working there. There are 2,000 people there now, one over a million accounts. People love it. Look at OSA. I was going through all the issues, and we, you know, we have a long-term plan to build, and so uh, quite excited about it. They've done a great job. And, and tech, you know, look, you look at tech, it always changes the world. It is the thing that's changed just about everything. I'm talking about over 2,000 years. So you should applaud that. Tech valuations obviously will come down. You know, I remind people when rates go up, the present value of the first 10 years of something is a lot higher than it was before. So anything where the payout is way out there, automatically less value. So you've already seen a dramatic adjustment in these values. They may go up and they may go down. Some of them will succeed and some of them will fail. And I put that in a fairly typical category. Will we ever see valuations return to where we were a couple of years ago or even earlier this year? Not quite like that. I think that was a little bit of a frenzy. Hmm. Elon Musk. It will again, but it may take another 15 or 20 years. You will have bubbles again. You, where will those bubbles be? I don't know. <laughs> well, I look forward to the further conversation. Um, Elon Musk's Twitter deal. JP Morgan, notably absent from the debt deal here, but there are a number of other banks on the line for about $12.5 billion. Is Elon Musk overpaying for Twitter? I have not studied or analyzed Twitter, and uh, I hope he does a good job with it. Do you think that these banks could be on the line? Yeah, they're, they're big boys. They can deal with it. It really is a very minor issue, all things being equal. I hope, you know, I hope Elon cleans up Twitter. Like, you know, for example, you know, why can't Twitter know who you are when you come on board so they can eliminate all those people in the public square who are, who are robots and emails and stuff like that and it gives them a little bit of legal liability? Why can't they give you a choice of algorithms? You know, as opposed to just the one that just jazzes you up. And so, you know, my view is Elon's very smart. I love reading some of the stuff he does. And let's see. I hope he does a good job. (laughs) Um, The 20th National Congress of the Chinese Communist Party officially opens October 16th. Everyone is watching out for soft signals about what Xi's next term will look like. And I'm curious what your take is. What do you think is in store for China? And how might Xi's third term differ from his prior ruling? Honestly, I have no idea. You know, I read probably the same things you do. 
Uh, you know, he's got a big job to do, and I hope the Americans engaged deeply, directly, strongly, forthrightly, you know, with China, because I think that is the most important thing, is that relationship, including trade. I think it's silly to act like you can have a relationship, not talk about trade, but I think the whole strategic economic dialogue needs to start. And, you know, and America's got to do what's in America's interest, and China's going to do what's in China's interest, but that is the most important thing. I hope there's more of that after this uh, next election there, or whatever they're going to call this. Um, We've had some negative signals on that front Um, over the weekend. Washington unveiling new export controls that essentially restrict sales of semiconductors made with U.S. technology, among other things. Chinese chipmakers have sold off heavily, losing about $9 billion or so uh, in value over the last 24 hours. How worrying is that escalation in tensions? Every nation particularly after Ukraine, is going to look at what its own national security is. So it could be energy supply, it could be food supply, it could be, you know, technology transfer. So if you're giving technology or unfair trade, because that could also be a difficult thing, you know, every nation can take unilateral actions on that. China takes plenty of unilateral actions and does things differently than America. America's going to do that. America has the right to do that. Again, I just think it should be done very thoughtfully, very clearly, uh, uh, very respectfully. But, you, you know, we do need to focus on issues that we didn't do a particularly good job at for years. What is it like as a lender and in terms of uh, this issue and this decoupling we're seeing between the U.S. and China? Are you caught in the middle? Yeah, not really. I think, I think it won't be a decoupling. I think it's be a restructuring. I think it'll also take a long time. So companies are doing it regardless of government actions. Governments are taking actions. Over time, there'll be a, a restructure and, you know, and obviously we, you know, whenever it comes to government matters, we follow the United States government or the British government. You know, they set certain rules and guidelines, not J.P. Morgan. So it may cause consternation issues, but we'll, we'll just have to deal with that. I want to just circle back to your initial comments around Russia, Ukraine. You seem particularly concerned about this war and its impact. Do you see Putin using tactical nuclear weapons? I couldn't possibly comment on that any more than you know, so... Yeah. And if you could... But, but I, you know what comment I will make? Nuclear proliferation is still the greatest threat to mankind. Okay? If we're not sitting here in 200 years, it'll be because of nuclear proliferation. And I do think, you know, this is an example that we, we how, much, how important it is. And I think Putin also taught the world that having a nuclear weapon gives you pretty much authority to bully any neighbor you want. Let's wrap up on the inflation outlook. And given all of the pressures that exist out there and the task at hand for central banks, do you see us ever getting back to the 2% level for inflation that so many central banks are targeting? Or are we poised to now live in this elevated inflation world? And if so, what does that mean for business? Eventually, yes. I mean, I don't think it'll happen in 18 months, but, you know, if you look at history, it takes three, four years or something like that. As long as we're making good, solid progress, I think people feel good about it. And, you know, we really, if you're responsible for the economy, you really care about having a healthy economy, there are jobs available, you know, we need to all take care of our, you know, lower income citizens and things like that. So, uh, so yeah, I will be on the pathway back one way or another. Um, you know, there was a huge amount, and again, people are going to be studying this for 30 years, there's a huge amount of fiscal stimulus and quantitative easing going into this. I mean, amounts that were never seen before on this planet, other than World War II. And you have to figure out what does that actually mean and how long. And a lot hasn't been spent yet, too, by the way. So it's sitting there in people's pocketbooks or state and local governments or the infrastructure bill hasn't started. The IRA Act hasn't started. 
So we'll see. You know, it'll be a lot of lessons for the future generations how to manage the economy. If central banks do end up having to uh, cut rates um, in the event that they push the economy into a recession, what tools do they then have at their disposal? I don't think they should have to fix every problem that's out there. And I think there's a too much reliance that some of the central banks are going to save the day every time something goes wrong. And, you know, I think what they did in COVID was exactly right. I think early on in the great financial crisis was exactly right. But, you know, there's constant inter- intervention, and I think that is not exactly right. And there was a the thought that negative rates are going to save the world. They, I think when people study this 30 years from now, they're going to look at all the adverse consequences of investing and psyche and, and uh, savers and pensioners and things like that. So let, let, let's just get back to growth. And, and the other thing is they, the, the central banks can't make up for government policy all the time. So remember, you know, they, they can look at fiscal policy, react to it. They don't set fiscal policy. You know, and obviously sometimes those things should be done kind of in conjunction. And if they're working against each other, it's very hard for a central bank. You have a little bit of that today. You know, while government deficits are coming down, they're still extraordinarily high. And I just don't know the full effect of that. Well, just lastly on that note then, do you believe in the UK's fiscal policies? I, I give a new government the benefit of the doubt. I would like to see the prime minister, the chancellor, be enormously successful. And like I said, I've, I totally applaud the focus on growth. Growth comes from proper tax policies, proper investment policy, consistency of law, uh, that you know, people can rely on it, being attractive to foreign investment, being attractive to innovative companies, having strategies around industries, financial services, like the fact they want to keep the financial services industry here, bioservices, technology. I mean, no, there's a lot of things that UK has going for it. And yeah, proper strategy can get it growing faster, and then it can accomplish some of the other objectives it wants to accomplish too. So I think every government should be focusing on growth. I would love to hear that like out of the mouth of every time a president or a prime minister speaks. That was the J.P. Morgan chairman and CEO Jamie Dimon speaking to us exclusively. And Dom, quite a far-ranging conversation as you just heard. I think the standouts for markets, and you saw a reaction yesterday when the initial headlines broke, were certainly his um, comments around the market and where we could see the S&P 500 trough. I think many investors are trying to determine where the bottom is. And he caveated his answer, of course, saying he doesn't know anything could happen, But there is a guarantee, and that is that volatility is here to stay, and that he doesn't see it as out of the realm of possibility that we could see a further 20% pullback in the S&P 500. And Dom, he warned that if we do see a further 20% drop, it's going to be a lot more painful than the first 20% pullback, given that interest rates are poised to rise further from here. So, Juliana, first of all, outstanding interview. And any time you get to spend that much time talking to one of the titans of Wall Street who's seen a lot of different things and, and, and has insight into so many different parts of the market, it becomes perhaps a, an enlightening conversation. I wonder from your perspective, when you sat down and asked him all the questions that you did, what was the most surprising part of the interview to you? What stood out to you as something that you didn't expect Jamie Dimon to come out and say? 
Jama, such a great question. I would say the firmness with which he talked about the war in Ukraine. He said that what was even more serious than Fed policy and where rates go from here, even for markets, is the war in Ukraine. He did not mince his words about how Europe has handled the energy situation, effectively saying Europe has been all wrong on energy. He was extremely strong in saying that America needs to step up and America needs to take on a leadership role here, saying that they made a mistake effectively. Not only has Europe made a mistake in its energy policy so far, but the U.S. has made a mistake in not pumping more oil and gas and not acting more swiftly back in March in the immediate wake of Russia invading Ukraine. So in his view, the U.S. needs to do more now. And that's really interesting, given the conversation happening here in Europe with regards to energy. Um, clearly, as we head into winter, energy security is a huge topic. And you're hearing European leaders more and more call on the U.S. to do more and to ramp up the role they're playing in helping Europe secure energy supplies and diversify and wean itself off of Russia for the months and years to come. Oh, Juliana, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I, I thought after watching that whole conversation, to me, it's interesting that you say it yourself as the interviewer. I thought the most interesting comment was from Jamie Dimon with regard to energy policy, about this idea that a lot of poorer countries had to turn to less clean fuel like coal because of the higher prices of oil and gas. So certainly something to watch for sure. Uh, Juliana, by the way, the rest of the interview in its full uncut format for CNBC Pro subscribers, you can go on to cnbc.com slash pro and check it out there. Thank you very much. It does it for us here. The markets are set up for a lower open squawk box. Picks up the coverage coming up next. Dow implied lower by 200. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.